Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. If you're new here, if this is your first time here, we're in the middle of a series right now called The Cruciform Life. The Cruciform Life is basically about, it's the idea of having your life formed out of the cross of Jesus Christ. Like, what does that actually mean or whatever? People always say, yeah, you know, we should do it like Jesus and everything else and we should rock with Jesus, but... Everybody doesn't know exactly what that means. Like, how does that actually begin to have implications on the way that you live, the way you think, and what you lean into? Holy Spirit is doing a work on the heart of a believer and turning our gaze towards Christ Jesus. And we, as much as we know how, are leaning into that and following that. So when it comes to the cruciform life, it's a study of the cross and everything that happened in the cross. And how do we get a hold of that and fall and lean forward into the work of Christ, right? Because he's our father. Once you become a believer, he's your daddy. And when you got a good daddy, you want to do what daddy wants you to do. You don't get on the track and try to win the race because you got to earn daddy's love. You want to get on the track because he loves you so much. So you want to come home with the, with the title. You get where I'm coming from? All right. I'm just about, about to get into a rap song on that right there or whatever. So it kind of took over me. I don't know where that came from. All right. So we're in this section today. The section of the, uh, of, of the cruciform series is the funeral. So we're talking about this funeral, this idea of that in the cross, you are called to die to yourself and follow Jesus Christ, right? So you neglect yourself. So I'm going to see if I can iron that out a little bit for us and kind of push into some of the um, nooks and crannies of that concept. And one of the things I want to do is I want to look at Paul. I want to actually want to look at how God does it, how he actually does it, all right? Because it's not something that we just, you know what, I feel good about God. He's awesome, I think. I keep hearing people saying it, and I want to follow him. It sounds like that sometimes, but it's really a work of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is doing in our heart. All right, so what we want to talk about is how does God do it? Like, why is he doing it? What's going on with all that? And so I figured, who better to look at than my man Saul, right? Or shall we say Paul? Or shall we call him Saul? It depends on where we're at in the story. So we're going to start at Acts 9 and go through it, and we're going to start off by calling him Saul, all right? All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, which I know none of you do because you have iPhones with you, all right, the millennials, you don't carry Bibles no more. I got a Bible, all right. No, I don't. All right, yes, I do. All right, anyway, all right, Acts 9, ESV, starts like this. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. All right. So Paul is a Pharisee to the max. He believes he's doing the work of God, and he is going to the, the, uh, the chief priest, and he's like, to the high priest, and he's like, listen, these Christians out here, they keep preaching about Jesus, and I need some papers to go lock them all up, right? So there's a problem, right? Paul thinks he's a man of God. Would you say he's a man of God? You can answer. Don't be scared. Oh, Saul. See, you get confused. It's a tricky thing or whatever. Do you think Saul's a man of God? Is he a man of God? No, he's not a man of God at all, right? But he thinks he's a man of God, right? This is us quite often where we're in this place where how many of y'all know friends that are like, you know, I just, in my heart, you know, you go talking to about the gospel, but then they tell you about their heart. They're like, in my heart of hearts, when they say heart of hearts, you know that it's real. (laughs) In my heart of hearts, though, I believe that if I do what's right, you know what I'm saying? 
God sees it, and then the balance scales or whatever, nah, doesn't work like that. Paul is in that place. He is, he is very much like that. All of us outside of Jesus have been in this place, in this place of self-righteousness where we think we're meeting some type of mark that we've set in our head, but it's not actually real. The Bible actually calls that like a, like a, a demonic doctrine. It's demonic doctrine because in the core of it, it's actually anti-Christ, right? And if we're saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way to the Father, and he's the only way to be saved, anything that's even kind of slightly funny but sounds kind of good is really bad. You get where I'm coming from? So Paul's in that place or whatever where he's like doing what he feels is godly and honorable to God, but he is a million miles off the way, of, off the mark or whatever. He's actually at war with the God, right, that he claims that he, against God, that he um, claims that he serves, all right? So it's a problem. We are in this state outside of Jesus where we are utter enemies to God. Even on our best day, even with our self-righteous rhetoric, we find ourselves in, in, in complete um, opposition to Christ, right? You know, we hear people say like, yeah, I'm, I'm turning a new leaf. You know, I'm going to switch up the game and do some things different. Can you turn a new leaf? Yeah, you can turn a new leaf. I turn a new leaf on my diet almost every day, several times a day, all right? I'm in the organic, then I'm going all grass-fed. I do all type of stuff, whatever. And then I end up with a, a stack of cookies and some milk late at night, all right? All right, so that's how that goes or whatever. But the Bible says this. It says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So if we take on the selfish ambition of trying to heal the world, we can do social good, all type of stuff. But let's say we actually end up changing everything. Let's say we healed this race issue in our country, politics, immigrants, everything. Let's say we get it all fixed. Yo, we are still in bad shape outside of Jesus Christ, right? Because nothing gets us to heaven but the blood of Jesus, right? Nothing can deal with our sin problem and our wretchedness problem before a holy God but the blood of Jesus on the cross. You get what I'm saying? So the works of selfish ambition, it gets us absolutely nowhere, all right? So Paul is on his, he's on his road, and he's doing his thing, and he's, he's working hard, right? He's working hard, all right? But his good works, his, his good intentions aren't the ticket, right? Like, good intentions are, they're literally at the root of all strife. And if you don't believe me, you can go ask any counselor. They will tell you. Anytime you sit a husband, wife down, or whoever you got in front of you, they go, well, I was... You know, I just felt like I was trying to love them by doing this and this. Well, that sounds good, but the impact of this love you thought you were doing was that you were hurting the person on the other side. And then the argument always happens where it's like we can't get to resolve it because the person is stuck inside of their good intentions. Do you, are you getting an idea of how self-righteousness is deceitful? They're like, no, no, babe, I didn't do that. Well, no, I was trying to do this. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Babe is hurt, all right? Because when your good intentions landed, they had disastrous impact. It, it was a problem, all right? And that's how our self-righteousness is tricky, and it hurts people, and it's anti-God, even when it feels good in your heart, all right? Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful, wicked, tricky, and impossible to fully know, all right? So lean not into your own understanding because at the end of the day, no matter how much you think you got a grip on yourself, you do not have a grip. And this is why we 
we, we, we push leaning into Jesus Christ by faith and trusting him because you cannot be trusted, all right? So you got to find something bigger than you to trust, all right? All right, so let's, let's, let's keep on moving. So Paul's doing his thing, but God is plotting on Paul, same way he plotted on all us that know him as our Lord and Savior. He's plotting Paul's funeral. So watch this. You ready? It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. It's kind of a weird conversation. But anyway, that's how it went down, all right? So he hits him up. He shows up out of nowhere. Let me ask you something. Was Paul, excuse me, was Saul, was he looking for the Lord? He wasn't looking for him at all, right? So he's actually on his way to go persecute God's children, lock them up in prisons, and kill them. And nevertheless, God shows up and interrupts his whole trajectory or whatever, right? Paul thinks he's doing his thing or whatever, unto God or whatever, in his piety. But God interrupts him and speaks to him, right? So God, that's what he does. He finds us in our sinfulness and our wretched rebellion and our blindness, right? It's an act of mercy and grace. That's important for us to establish straight off the bat because before we even get to the idea of this funeral, when it comes to unlocking our gaze on ourself and our sin, it's always interrupted by the voice of the Lord, right? It's, it, you get this tap, however it happened for you, but you get interrupted by God. And it's an act of mercy and grace because we are not looking for him. We are set in our selfishness and our sinful ways is what we know how to do. We love it. We love it. But God, he goes and hunts down a sinner. Some of you might be in the room and be like, you don't understand. I know when I first went to church, I was listening to the pastor, and I was like, man, this is good. But I'm like, I'm like devilish, brother. Like, I'm satanic out this piece. Like, I was like, I am rotten. I'm rotten. This gospel can't be for me. You don't know, you don't know the half. That's what I was thinking. But then now I'm looking at Paul. I'm like, you're killing his children, and he's pursuing you, Right? So maybe if you're out here and you're in the crowd and you're on the outside of God and you feel like you're just a mess, this is, th this is good news. So we're talking about a God who out of mercy and grace even pursues his enemies, all right? So I'm going to just leave you just standing right there. He pursues his enemy, right? Has everything to do with God, God's goodness and nothing to do with ours, all right? So if you don't believe me, look at this. Verse 6. It says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you ought to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at, at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, excuse me, I messed his name up the first time. Ananias, and he said, to, and he said here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. But behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. My contact is crazy right now. Lord, I need you to help me get my sight, please. Um, all right. 
But, uh, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And, and, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. All right, now y'all ready? Y'all ready? Can y'all wake up? Can we get a woo somewhere in the room? All right, all right. If your neighbor's falling asleep on you, just get in the air real quick and hit a woo as loud as you can. You, you got you got a pastor to interrupt the sermon, all right? All right, verse 15 says this. It said, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is, cho- for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Did you hear that? His enemy is killing his children, all right? Somebody's out here trying to kill my children. I'm not coming to save nobody. Uh, It's going to be a whole other story, but the Lord is still sanctifying me, so I, I digress, all right? But He is chosen. So God in his mercy and grace has chosen this wretched sinner. He's chosen Paul, Saul, all right? So so most of us, we, in our head, we think that, we think that we're here today because we're like working on God. But the fact of the matter is that God is actually, as you hear, because he's working on you, right? He's actually doing a sanctifying work that he has had planned out of his mercy and grace. That's a horrifying thing because there are days when I like to think that I'm actually a good guy and I love Jesus because I'm actually good. And it's a lie from Satan. Fact of the matter is I'm headed straight to hell in a handbasket and by his mercy and grace, he saved me. And he's called me to proclaim his gospel and preach the good news. has nothing to do with me. It makes you tremble before him because where would I be if he hadn't shown up? And to think that I had no hands on that to make that happen, man, I'm telling you, keep you up at night. Verse 15 says this. He says, he says, and, and, and he will carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How do we carry his name? What is, it, what is he talking about? I'm going to jump over to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, right? Let me read this to you. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this awesome title they give him. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort, right? Is that comfort? Like we just chilling like villains or whatever, just hanging out? Like we comfortable? Let's keep on reading and see what he's talking about. He says, who comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction. Hmm. So it doesn't mean that every time you feel affliction, you go run away from it and go run to comfort. You run to Jesus who comforts you in the affliction, right? So he says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God, he opens our eyes. He saves us, right? He, he calls us into this baptism into this funeral this burial of death right to our old selves where we give up our selfish ambition and we begin to lavish people with the same love that he's lavished us with right or should we say like the text lavish them with the comfort that he has lavished us with and so what is that comfort 
What is the comfort? The comfort is this hope in Christ, right? Because he tells us in Romans 8, he said, while you're here, you're going to suffer. But, but, but wait what I got, wait for what I got, wait, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to stand for my name, you're going to suffer for it, but I got something coming for you that is just, un, we, there's, we don't have words for it. You get where I'm coming from? But while we're here, we rest in this hope that comforts us in our affliction. So he's not naive, he's not unaware of the pain we go through day to day. He's not unaware of our sin condition. So let's talk about that comfort in a whole nother way, right? He's not aware that after you die to yourself and you follow him, right, that you're not going to be slipping and tripping and acting crazy because he knows you have this flesh on your body. And that's why, so he, he, he sends Jesus as the comforter because in Romans 8, he also tells us that we can rest, that our mind does not have to go to scrambling and feeling like, oh, my God, I messed up. Daddy's don't throw me out the house. He's like, no, his blood is sufficient. It covers your sin. Keep your eyes on the cross, right? Be led by the spirit, which is to look into the work of Jesus, right? Which reconciles us to the father and covers our sin and atones for our sin. Do you get where I'm coming from? So we're comforted in the fact that we're a mess. Because he's like, I covered all the bases. I covered all the bases. Even Paul, who has such a radical conversion, right? A radical conversion. He says, man, I want to do this thing, and then I mess up, and I'm do, and he's schizophrenic, dealing be, be, between the spirit that is now alive in him and this resurrection, this newness, and this dead body he has, right? But he ends it all by saying, he ends the schizophrenia by, he goes, but Jesus, but Jesus, all right? He doesn't fall, in, he doesn't fall on condemnation, right? falls on conviction and then he falls on the fact that Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient to cover his sins all right so we're called into this amazing work can y'all hear me okay called into this amazing work so that comfort in our affliction the thing that pains our brain all the time when we look in the mirror and we're out trying to put on our best face every day and we think we're trying to act like we got it and we, we got it together and we're good to go or whatever and we simply know it's not the truth. We simply know it's not the truth, right? I called somebody this week because I'm struggling with my son and trying to love him and love him right and sometimes losing my temper and not doing it well and we're talking about grace but then I feel like I'm not leading in grace with him very well at all. So I called somebody in the church and said, I need help. I need help. But guess what? I'm allowed to ask for help. That is freedom. It's freedom that I can say, I'm struggling and I need you to help me with this. All right? Because I don't have to walk around and try to keep up the mantle of being perfect. That's not why I'm here preaching the gospel. I'm preaching about a perfect God who loves wretches, who saves people who are enemies of his, right? And people who still struggle with being selfish. All right? That's the Jesus we're talking about, the one who comforts people who are a mess, the one who saves people who are dead in their sin and hopeless, hopeless. We have to know that. We are hopeless outside of him. Let me read this to you. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 1 again. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and hope, excuse me, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the look at that in any affliction he is sufficient all right with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God I'm I'm going off track real quick but I just want to say this to the church this isn't just this isn't just words this is the word of God all right and it, and it is what it says it is all right but when it says this right here, so that we may able to be comfort, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, the Bible means that. I just want you to take this one with you today because we work with people that get on our nerves. We deal with bosses that get on our nerves. We deal with spouses that get on our nerves, right? We deal with ourselves that get on our own nerves, right? But God is saying right here that he is able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And he's telling us right in the same text that he actually wants us to lavish people with what he's lavished on us. So you think you don't get on God's nerves? You think you don't get on his nerves when you go and you cry next to your bed in repentance and then go right back to do the same thing you're doing 10 minutes later? Huh? You think you haven't gotten on his nerves with the same exact prayer for like 15 years straight? Let's keep it real now. But... We serve a father who is abundant in mercy. He says, my mercies are made new every morning. So if he's lavishing you with that, instead of when we're sitting at the job and we're like, man, I'm about to smack this guy. All right, because he's getting on my nerves. He keeps micromanaging me and doing all these type of things. Whatever is driving us crazy or whatever, right? What if we just thought about the fact that God has empowered us to comfort people like he's comforted us? And we said, now, God, what do you have me here for? Because this guy's crazy, right? And I want to choke him. But I know you're giving me an opportunity to walk this thing out, whatever. Like walk out, you know what I'm saying, the good stuff, you know. So you can ask him that. We don't never look at it like that. We're just like, we're not comfortable. I'm getting out of here, whatever. I had to leave that job. The people are crazy and everything else. Some of y'all are feeling convicted because you know you've said that before. And you're just like, I'm not feeling this, whatever. And then everything, the lunch breaks are like too short, whatever the reason may be. And maybe you were supposed to go, I don't know. But at the same time, we hardly stop and go, Lord, what have you called me to do here? What's your purpose for me being here, right? But he, has, he, he says he comforts those who are in any affliction, right? Just wait on it. Wait on the spirit to lead you. You may not have the words to say locked and loaded, but if you hold on for a second, he'll show up and he'll show you something, all right? Let me read this. The strong wall of hostility that divides and perpetuates hostility is held together by sin rooted in selfish ambition and war against the creator. The reason we are okay with the broken and hurting collapsing all around us is because it will cost us something to save them. It will take your resources, your time, your money, possibly even your life. In the face of all the adversity, all the horrible that the world has to offer, which we are all guilty of, God offers his son Jesus on a cross who reconciles sinners with the father into the work that we just read about in 2 Corinthians. All right? You know, I just. Somebody just go off track or whatever. So I had a situation the other day or whatever. Um, I, 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 I want to show you what this looks like for us as believers struggling with this thing or whatever to walk and be led in the spirit and that and that and that 
dead person trying to raise up all the time, right, and show its face, all right? And so I had a situation or whatever, like, if you heard me on the microphone last week, you heard me mention something about KFC, but I didn't go in the story. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? Did anybody catch that? All right. I'm not going to go into the story right now, but I'm going to give you a little piece of it. So I was in KFC, and... And the lady, and like I was on the line, and the lady on the intercom, she screamed at me through the microphone. Like, because I asked her just a simple question. You know, it wasn't, I was just like, um, I didn't know that was chicken fingers on the sandwich. Um, but, okay, I was just asking. I didn't know what went on the sandwich. And she was like, I told you, chicken fingers, da, 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 and it's going to be six minutes. And I was like, I was like, girlfriend, did you just scream at me? And then the boss comes on the microphone, and he says some crazy stuff. And he's like, sir, is that the end of your order? I said, did your employee just scream at me? And I'm trying to keep it cool. I'm trying to be led in the spirit. I'm trying to do all the Jesus stuff at the moment. And it's not working well, right? And I'm in the car, and I'm trembling. And I said, yo, did she just scream at me, man? And he goes, and then he, he pushes me over the, over the ledge. All right? We're in church. And like we in the streets, I would tell you I was completely right about this. But since we're in the house of the Lord, I'm going to go ahead and lean into the truth, all right? This guy says to me, he says, well, sir, you don't know what you're ordering? You're the one ordering the food. You don't know what's on your sandwich? And I said, brother, I don't work for KFC, so how would I know what's on the sandwich? I said, don't you work here so I can ask you questions? And he's like, I mean, sound. I mean, I just can't believe you don't know what you're eating. I pulled out the line. I went inside. I'm going to stop it right there because I was ashamed of where it went. I was ashamed of where it went. But all I can say, boy, the Lord showed me I was not walking in the spirit that day. All right, I'm going to leave it right there. All right. Saturday didn't work well. So, but, but I want to tell you this right here, right? So this is another story, all right? I won't kill you with stories, but I just want you to see what I'm talking about. So just recently I was on a flight, and I was coming back from uh, Washington, D.C., right? And um, so I was with a bunch of students from Lee or whatever that we all work with and stuff, and most of you all know about that. And so I'm sitting on a plane. It's about we got a really late flight, whatever. Like we're flying out of Atlanta, like on a, on a connection flight, probably like, I don't know, midnight or something. And so... I'm, I'm, I'm in my seat, and all the boys are on the plane. So, you know, you just I just got like a whole, like a wild crew with me. They're everywhere or whatever on the plane. They're like, yo, Tyrone, yo, what up, homie? This, and everything, whatever. And people are half asleep, so they're like, please shut up. I get it, right? This guy's sitting behind me, all right? So I'm, I'm going to just give you the setup. I'm in my seat. Next to me is a white guy, and his wife is black, right? They're kind of a preppy couple, right? Behind me is a white dude with dreads, and his girlfriend is black, right, or his wife, right? And, the, and you know, and she's like a straight-life sister back there, right? You know what I'm saying? And so not that the other one was a sister, but you get where I'm coming from. I'm trying to, you know, whatever, you know. I'm trying to profile, which I'm against profiling, by the way, um, but profiling. Anyway, so anyway, so so, so I'm, I'm going to speak my story up. My wife says I take forever. All right, so I'm sitting back there. And I'm sitting there, and then I hear the guy say, who's the zookeeper responsible for all these animals? So I just keep on looking, because I'm like, I know you're not talking to me, right? 
And he says, uh, he says, who's the zookeeper responsible for all these animals? And I swear, if you knew what happened in just that moment, I turned around, right? And so I look over at the uh, preppy white dude with the black chick. And he gives me that look like, get him. Um, I got your back, bro. Like, I'll just go, go ahead. And then I look, I look back, and then the, the, one, the one other sister back here, I saw her neck. She was just like, like, she had that look like, I know what you about to do. I know what you about to do. You better come with it. You know what I'm saying? You better come with it, all right? And so... I'm in this situation, and I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm about to go to straight smack fest mode. It's about to go crazy up here, right? But literally, like, I looked at the guy, and I said, what? And he was like, <laughs> he goes, he goes, who's the zookeeper? <laughs> and I was like, I was just in the daze, and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and I said, it. I, I literally, I went little John on him, like, four times in a row. I said, what? And I think his wife was giving him the tap, like, honey, no, don't fall back. I think she was giving a tap, right? Because he, he, he goes, who's, who's the teacher of these kids, you know? And, and so this is my point right here. At that moment, the dead man is trying to get it back up, all right? And he's, I'm just like, I'm in that moment because there's this, there's this thing going on with everybody's eyes. are like, handle it, brother. We know what you're about to do. Bring the thunder, you know what I'm saying? Like I could feel, I could feel the responses. But at the same time, I was praying. I should have did this at KFC. But I was praying and I was going, God, what do you want to happen here? Because my flesh says choke him. But what do you want to have here? And I'm being honest with you. I literally was praying. I kept saying what because I was praying. And I was trying to get out of myself. I was trying to get out of my flesh. I was trying to not let keep the dead man dead and leave and fall into Jesus. Not in trying to figure out what the good thing was at the moment. That wasn't the thought. I wasn't leaning to what would be good to do right now. I was asking the spirit to lead me in that moment, to take control. Because we do have the Holy Spirit as believers. And the Holy Spirit isn't just a cute word we talk about. Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the Father God. And he's alive and he's in it. So I, I leaned into him. Lord, what do I do right now? Right? Because guess what? I don't know the intention of that guy's statement. Maybe he was just ignorant to the language he was using. Right? But my flesh doesn't care about that. My flesh is like, no, nah, you racist. I'm, I'm, I'm about to show you not to play with me today, brother. You about to get it. That's what my flesh is saying, right? But what does the Lord say? Because the Lord is over here saving people who kill his kids. You feel me? So you think I got a right to go at this guy and come in his throat right now? I don't think so. Right? I don't think so. And plus, you need to remember, right? I'm a believer. So I'm a dead man walking. I'm dead to my own self. The old me is dead. I live in Christ. I live to see his glory, not mine. So everybody's waiting for me to handle it. And, and my flesh wants its glory. So I could have handled it and straightened him out. But in the moment, God gave me the words, and I said, sir, I'm actually not the teacher. I said, I'm a volunteer. I said, I'm a volunteer or whatever. I said, we actually just came from Washington, D.C. And I was like, do you know who um, John Lewis is, the civil rights leader? He said, yeah, yeah, I know him. He's like, yeah, we just met with him today. You know Cory Booker, the, the senator? He's like, yeah, we know him. 
And then I said, well, do you know, I said, we just left the White House today. We were meeting with, you know, the, the, with the, the president's financial advisors and the Department of Justice. And I'm running through that stuff. And everybody on the plane is like, oh, crap, like for real? You know, and they're just like, everybody's standing up like, these guys? You know, and I said, yeah, you see the one with the, with the dreads up there? It looked like, like some like fingers or whatever over here, like that right there. He's hanging on his head. So, yeah, he just spoke to the Senate this morning. And they were just like, wow, that's crazy. And I know God got glory out of that. Because everybody knew I sh they thought I should go that way. But I got to tell another story or whatever. And I didn't try to throw it at them to boast at them. It's just where the spirit led me in the situation. And to be honest with you, I felt really happy and glad. Even though some people may have looked like, I can't believe you just did that or whatever the case was or the vibe on the plane. But I knew that God took over and he preceded me in that situation. Right? And that's, and that's the point. Because I'm not living for me no more. We're living for him. And so I'm telling you that because I want you to grasp the idea of how we get caught in these situations, right? And, 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 and what we need to remember about the gospel, the full story of the gospel. It's not a lucky charm that we throw on when we want to, right? He's our Lord and Savior. So we lean into him every day, all day when you don't feel him. All right? Sometimes I worship. I don't feel like worshiping, but I still know he's worthy to be worshiped. I don't have to feel it, right? He's still king and he's still Lord. Bottom line. All right? Still king and he's still Lord. Bottom line. Even when I was in KFC, even though he had to turn his eyes and look away at his son, Jay, I know he still loved me, but he, he couldn't have looked down at that one. I know he turned his eyes. It was bad, y'all. I'm telling you, all right? Okay. Let's keep on moving. Ah, Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All right? Man. So God wants us to lose our life. He wants us to die. He wants to have a funeral for us. He wants to have a funeral for us, right? So we'll find life, abundant life in him, right? Let me keep reading. So verse 17 says this. It says, so Ananias departed, Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And we know the rest of the story. Saul's name is changed to Paul. Saul dies. Paul enters the scene, right? Paul enters the scene. God was plotting on his funeral the whole time, the whole time, and it had nothing to do with him, right? But we call to walk in the funeral every single day and keep the old man dead. But here's how you do it. You don't do it by concentrating on not being the bad guy anymore. You concentrate on the only good guy there is, right? That's being led by the Spirit, looking at the cross and looking at Jesus. Because when we behold him, it says in the word that we are transformed as we see him, right? As we see him, as we reverse, as we, as we, as we visit the gospel, right? So I told you the other day, I needed help with my son. I needed help with him. Well, I was in my flesh when I dealt with them. When I came back, though, I had been rehearsing the gospel. And the gospel told me I was just as guilty as he was. So I had sin to confess to him. 
he confessed his, some sin, he confessed some sin. We repented together. We talked about how we need Jesus together, and then we prayed for God to lead us. Because he was like, man, I have a sin problem. I'm always messing up. Homie, me too. Me too. I get to stand beside him and walk towards Jesus with him, right? I'm not staring at my problem. I'm staring at Jesus, and he's showing me. He's taking the scales off of my eyes so I can see me and lean into him and lean into the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. All right. Romans 6, I want to read this to you really quick. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may, may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Listen to this right here, verse 4. It says, we were buried Therefore, with him by baptism into death, right? So when we become believers, the word tells us to follow Jesus, right? Confess our sins and be baptized, right? The word here is calling it a burial, right? Same being buried. Like this is a funeral where the old us dies, right? And listen to the rest of it. It says, therefore, with him, says we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, right? We get to walk in this newness of life when we bury, when, we, when we're buried, right? And we die to ourselves to live into Christ Jesus, this work that he has overcome us with, right? So that also means that we die to boasting in ourselves, and we now live to boast in his name and to make him famous. You get where I'm coming from? So in a practical sense, let this land on you like this. How many of y'all have looked in the mirror and said, woe is me, God, I thought I would be farther in life by now. Anybody ever said that before? I've uttered that on my mouth before. I thought I would be further in life. Well, guess what? Life isn't about boasting about me. Where I'm at doesn't matter. This is not about getting me further, right? It's about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess where he's at in life? Ruling and reigning as king of kings and lord of lords. So on my worst day, I get to wallow in this beautiful contentment because my father has won and overcome everything and is sitting high and lifted up. That's beautiful stuff. That's beautiful stuff. So you don't have to be in that place you thought you would be at. You could be a million miles away. But if you have the love of Father on you and you are resting in the hope of the Father, there's no promises in this cruel, ugly world we live in. This reality we live in is so fragile it can collapse in any second. In any second. And God's promise is not that no affliction and no discomfort will never come on you. That is an Americanized lie that we've let invade the Christian church, and it's not true. And we can't stand before believers who are sitting right now in other third world countries being burnt alive right now and preach that type of foolishness to them. It's not real. All right? 
It's a blessing that we're in America and we have whatever comforts we have. Glory to God. But, man, I'm telling you, we're in bad shape if we start to think that that is something God owes us or that that is a reality. It's actually for us to do what he said in in the Corinthians, to take the comforts he's given us and lavish on those people who have no comfort. You get where I'm coming from? To his glory. You see how this thing works? This is the best plan ever. All right. I don't know if you've been listening to the candidates' uh, action plans. But I'm telling you, you, you might want to vote Jesus. I'm telling you, this is the, you do what you want to do, all right? You know what I'm saying? I ain't rolling for either one of them. You do whatever you want to do. But I'm telling you, Jesus got it right here wrapped up, all right? All right. Read this to you whatever, and then we're going to end it up. All right. Romans 5, 8. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see that? Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God, we boast in him, we worship, we praise him, right? We rejoice in God, right? If, we, if we're counting, if we're looking at life based on where we thought we would be in life, we might not want to rejoice. But if we're believers and we're caught up in the gaze, right, and we're looking at, we're gazing on the cross, man, it's something to rejoice about. Because you, cause you're bulletproof from, from, from just the worst of it all. We're bulletproof from an eternity separated from God, right? We're loved. We're his children. All right? It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me explain to you, and I'm going to end with this. Reconciliation is this right here. It is the action, action of making one view or belief compatible with another. The restoration of friendly relations. All right? So God is doing this work to take us who were his enemies who were his enemies, if, if, if you are not a believer in here today and you have not put your faith in Christ Jesus, then you are still in that position. But for us who are in here who have been saved and overwhelmed by the, by the love and the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel, we have gone from being enemies. We have gone from being enemies of God to being children of God. And he offered his son to make that possible, all right? This is, not, this is not a cheap trick. This is not a cheap trick. This costs the blood of Jesus Christ. All right? It's not a cheap trick at all. And so I just want to leave you with that, that um, I just... My, my heart when I'm preaching this sermon, and my biggest thing is that I'm, I pray for our church, is that we could lean into this gospel in such a way that we would just completely abandon ourselves. I know that this will always be a struggle for us um, as human beings fighting for our comfort and, um, and, and, and having to fighting to persecute, like to, to kill our flesh and kill our desires. But like what I want to tell you is God is good. 
like he's really good, like he's really good. We can lean all the way in. We could lean all the way in because when the church collectively leans into the truth of Jesus Christ and believes what he says about us, right? When we, when we, believe, when we lean into the idea that we are dead to ourselves and called to this newness, and then we come to his words, his instructions he's given us, this is how you fix a lot of stuff that's broken in the world. When we talk about babies that are neglected, what if the church stepped in and started adopting babies for real? When we talk about third world countries, what if we really leaned into that for real and showed up for real? When we talk about our communities right here in Jacksonville, on the east side, the north side, the gang violence and everything else, like, we have to beg people to come volunteer to do anything. We have to beg them. Beg them. And God has empowered us to take what he's given us and lavish it on the broken. Do we believe that? Because if we believe it, then the enemy got a problem in the streets. The enemy has a problem. And so my prayer for our church is that we will begin to believe that more. And so my commitment is to keep preaching and lifting Jesus Christ higher and higher and higher. Because the only way I know for us to be transformed and for myself to be transformed in a place where we end up completely selfless and lost inside of what God is doing and not what we want done and where we what we want him to follow us and bless what we're doing, but where we're like, forget what I got planned. Lord, what do you have planned? Point and we'll go. The only way I know for us to get there is for us to keep lifting up the name of Jesus high and us keep leaning into that and that begin to do a transforming work on, on us.